Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. I'm joined again this week by Liam Breen. Liam, how are things? Hi Mark, uh, great, great weekend of uh, sport and rugby, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was certainly, it was a sensational weekend uh, with the Challenge Cup and the Champions Cup finals on in Marseille. So our real focus will be on the Champions Cup final between La Rochelle and Leinster. Very dramatic ending to that with La Rochelle denying Leinster their fifth European Cup accolade, winning 24-21. We'll have a good review of that fixture. Uh, URC playoffs arrive this weekend in earnest, uh, so we'll have a good preview there of the four quarterfinals. And also we look at some contract news uh, across the Irish provinces. Suppose name will start with the Stade Velodrome, Marseille on Saturday afternoon. Leinster, La Rochelle, again, Liam, I thought it was a magnificent cup final. Uh, just for pure tension, drama of it, what were your initial thoughts, I suppose, of the game and how it unfolded? Yeah, it was a, it was a great occasion. Uh, a lot of that was because the La Rochelle fans really met it, <laughs> you know. They definitely... Um, Certainly, I was shouted anyway, and, and uh, the the Leinster support, and it 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 was it was almost like you know when Ireland play France, to be honest with you, that sort of intimidating atmosphere. You're going, oh oh, <laughs> yep. you know, going to be one of those days already, you know, and of course in 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 that searing heat as well. But you know, overall, they were fully deserved, La Rochelle, in in every metric that was going, they excelled. You could argue that, like, if they had lost that final, they would be kicking themselves. They had they had all the opportunities to to really, I suppose, in the second half, kick on further. You know, you know, when when you own the ball for the last ten minutes, have that actually steely determination and that heart to get literally get over the line and get the victory. Absolutely, I take my hat off to, to La Rochelle. Absolutely, it was very brave at the end, but maybe we start from the start, maybe we can go first quarter, second quarter, and so forth. So, I mean, the first 20 minutes here, Liam, and to be fair to Leinster Rugby, they started very quickly, trying to secure territory and also attacking play. And to be fair to Jonathan Sexton and the Leinster uh, team, yielding two quick penalties in the fifth and ninth minute. Again, advantages here uh, due to La Rochelle offsides. But again, I think from a Leinster perspective in that first 10 minutes, it was a very promising start in, you know, hot conditions. But I mean, they were on front football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Leinster were like very dynamic in those first, I suppose, nine, 10 minutes to get that 6-0 lead. You know, La Rochelle were straying offside. Two easy penalties, I suppose, really there for, for Johnny Sexton. But I suppose really, you know... After that 10 minute, then we had La Rochelle, actually Raymond Rule, really beautiful try. It was a beautiful hands, really, from Dylan Leds. And he, he basically took like three three Leinster players out of it. And at that stage, people seemed to forget this. It wasn't that, that uh, La Rochelle just suddenly got the lead at the end. They actually got the lead at that, at that point, you know, briefly, advice, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that was probably one of the turning points, you know, the first 10 minutes, and then suddenly La Rochelle were were in their their stride and uh, they were well back in the game. I thought it was one of the big massive turning points of the game, given how the first ten minutes had gone, Liam. 
how much in the ascendancy Leinster rugby had been dominating territory, looking to really exploit line breaks, likes of ring rolls, Henshaw very prominent early on. And then for now, in fairness to La Rochelle, they set their mantra fairly quickly, a very aggressive line speed defensively. And Wayne Barnes, very, very observant, was pinging for offsides here. But that Raymond Rule try, it shouldn't have come as a big surprise for Leinster, given some of the opening exchanges where La Rochelle were looking to attack out wide, create width. So Lid, I think, was phenomenal. Maybe kind of exposed maybe a little bit of um, the injury concerns over Tyke Furlong a little bit, given that Jimmy O'Brien really, you know, had to come inside and really try to support Furlong on that particular um, lead offload. I mean, Raymond Rule, phenomenal pace, burns Keenan uh, for the try. But I thought that was maybe a bit of a body blow for Leinster, coupled with, I think there was a penalty that Sexton did go for the corner and you could see collisions again in terms of La Rochelle, the aggressive defensive line speed, smashing Leinster players in contact, ultimately turning over ball. So I think two key instances there were if Leinster felt this was going to be an easy afternoon, La Rochelle certainly probably setting the marker down fairly early for Leinster that this would be a complete and utter competitive 80-minute uh, uh, performance required. And I suppose we can get to the second quarter here. You know, West adds the conversions. Suddenly, Leinster being in the ascendancy, now 7-6 uh, down. But in fairness to Leinster, again, more composure. Where La Rochelle, you probably say, were lacking a little bit in terms of uh, not rolling away. There was a few offside calls again. Penalty count was starting to creep up a little bit in La Rochelle. And uh, Jonathan Sexton given a few regulation penalties to kind of open that up gap up again to uh, 12-7 at half time. What were your initial impressions there in that second quarter, Aline? Just given uh, 6-0 uh, to Leinster in that quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, as, as you said, to be fair, you know, 6-7 down and um, they came back to 9-7 to there. And, you know, we, I suppose we have to remember too, La Rochelle, the way that that half ended was quite strange. La Rochelle were, were camped on the Leinster line <laughs> yeah, exactly. for, for the five minutes before half time. And then suddenly uh, it turned around that Leinster got a penalty down the other end after Lara said straight off side and suddenly it was 12-7. So, you know, that was, I suppose, key as well. Leinster had been, were also kind of held up uh, before the line as well. But you also have to say that there was a, it was a dubious decision in the first instance in the, the La Rochelle scrum that gave that decision to Leinster as well. Exactly. You know, there, there was also a bit of crossing as well from Antonio as well on one of those penalties for Sexton as well in that opening period. So La Rochelle's maybe attacking cohesion, probably not quite there. But I suppose whatever words were said by Ronan Agarra, Dunica Ryan and the rest of the management to the team, it certainly kind of helped significantly. Uh, I mean, West tacking on a penalty on the 43 minutes. But again, kind of Leinster kind of came back. Again, a little bit more composure uh, from Leinster here with uh, Sexton adding two penalties in the 48 and 53rd minute to kind of open that gap up again, uh, which was, we thought at the time, I think, Liam, pretty significant. You know, we were kind of on a, a WhatsApp kind of pinging away. But then I think the second major turning point kicks in on just before the Pierre Bogaritz uh, try. That Brice Doulan attempted drop goal and then the subsequent kind of play from Sexton and Keenan not really clearing 
their lines really I thought that was a pivotal moment in the game it gave La Rochelle massive field position to really expose their attacking mall which in fairness to Leinster front five has subdued for quite a bit of that first half but I mean I thought it was maybe another kind of significant turning point in this game oh yeah absolutely yeah and 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 obviously then subsequently uh, you had La Rochelle mall and the Bougerich um touchdown so it was like it was like they, they never could put them away. They could never get that kind of substantial lead. Now in the second half, when Leicester had penalties, they never looked to uh, kick to, to the corner for lineup malls either, which they probably kind of were figuring that you know let's take the three points, let's get just keep building the lead and scoring when we get into their half, rather than possible kicking and and, and not really getting anywhere. But uh, yeah, um, and certainly, I mean, West, of course, was on point with his kicking in the game. The, I suppose that the, the, that silly yellow car there, oh uh, wow, man, like is the, the the softest yellow card. If you've got to get a yellow, you may as well do something for it. Like, but I mean, to trip Jameson Gibson Park and to basically pretty much hand a, a penalty back to Leinster. Yeah, uh, that was that was so silly, you know. And I suppose, look, after that then, they were in the ascendancy, La Rochelle, for pretty much the rest of the game. Yeah. Thomas Lavaltz. Can you imagine, Liam O'Brien, if La Rochelle had lost this match? That bus trip home from Marseille to La Rochelle or train or plane ride. My God, I think Thomas Lavaltz, I think, really could have played his last game for La Rochelle. It was such a stupid yellow card straight after the Bogorit's try and I think Pierre Bogorit was probably one of the standout players for La Rochelle and really probably exposed Leinster a little bit in terms of their line out sent piece because I mean Bogorit was absolutely phenomenal but four minutes later to then give that advantage back that 14 players in that stifling heat in Marseille to Leinster and I mean as you say Ross Byrne tacks on the penalty he replaces Sexton at this stage in 66 minutes. Again, it opens that up to a four-point gap. Do you think then maybe Leinster will kind of close this out and really kind of execute to kind of close out the game? But I don't know about you, Liam, but I felt it was very conservative of Leinster throughout. I mean, it was very attritional, very kind of points-orientated, but their kicking game really did arrest an awful lot of possession and territory away from Leinster during the game, particularly that last 30 minutes, they kicked an amount of ball away. And Brees Doolan became a very prominent figure in terms of his kicking, was absolutely on point, really didn't give the Leinster back three a sniff, and really did set up territory for La Rochelle to really launch attacks. Even at 14 players, La Rochelle were the team on the ascendancy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I suppose when you can keep an attack like Leinster quiet, offer incredible uh, attacking potential themselves like like, like they did offer uh, in the game with the likes of Dylan Eds and and Raymond Rule as well and Brees Dillon um a classy back three in their own right has to be said yeah. but um and then I suppose Leinster just couldn't couldn't get out of their their own five meters ten meters for, for the rest of the game you know and again you, you, you I suppose you could say that there was maybe a, Alan Atoa, you know, was penalised there at one stage where maybe it could have went the other way and they could they could have got out. They only needed one opportunity, really. One yeah. massive kick <laughs> out 
is all they need. Kieran's kick is all they needed to get away and, and get the win, but it didn't come for them. Yeah, that scrum, I think you mentioned, it was a very 50-50 call on another day that could have gone Leinster Rugby's way. And then all of a sudden, as you say, you get cleared up the pitch, exit out of your own 22, and then really kind of killed clock at that stage. But I suppose the last 10 minutes here, Liam, was incessant pressure off La Rochelle. They turned down multiple penalty opportunities. They trust their process. I suppose um, hearing their forwards coach, Dunnick Ryan, in the background saying about uh, how direct you should be to get to the try line. And like it was ballsy brave, I thought, Liam, to be perfectly fair, particularly with 10 minutes to go, you know, that they kept turning down the penalty opportunities, really sensing that moment. I suppose learning from mistakes of uh, maybe the previous year in their grand final appearances, playing to lose in the Champions Cup final, top 14, maybe just seize the moment, seize the day mentality. They weren't going to leave this on, you know, un- unturned really. And to be fair to Leinster, to a man, that was incredible pressure that La Rochelle were building phase upon phase upon phase. And we haven't even met- mentioned Nick Skelton yet. I mean, Skelton plays the full 80 minutes after such a lengthy layoff. Skelton was absolutely phenomenal, I thought, uh, Liam. Oh, man. Oh, what what a, a man-mountain he is. And he just, he, 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 in full flight, he's almost impossible to, to stop as well. Yeah, as you said, to, to actually come back from injury, to play some like 13 minutes a week before, and then to give that tour de force performance, uh, incredible. But, like, you know, in that last that section of the game, really, Leinster were also pretty much... At yellow card territory, like it's it's mind-boggling that they didn't uh, that they didn't concede a yellow card themselves. But it, there was a sense of inevitability in those last few minutes that La Rochelle. It was I think it was more a question of would they get one uh, a try where it was like kickable or not like out in the very corner, you know? That's because that's really all that was that was that was the in question at that stage. I was thinking an awful lot about American football during the last five minutes for. Leinster being better suited just to give the try away and have five minutes then to really manufacture a score, even to make it 24-all, to give themselves time. Because it was valiant defensive efforts, but it all required was one little mistimed tackle around the fringes to allow La Rochelle to score. And I mean, the, the clock certainly was not Leinster's friend when we were hitting to 77, 78. Defensively, they had to be absolutely spot on. As you said, Liam, you could argue there was, I think Caelan Doris kind of came in, uh, you know, deliberately killed the ball. There was a few other instances where maybe it was Barnes kind of tempted to, you know, kind of give a yellow card, but it never happened. But I think La Rochelle just literally, they knew themselves their last 20 minutes. I think Ronald Agar was very at pains to mention it in the post game. Leinster redo an awful lot of their damage first 20, but La Rochelle do an awful lot of their damage in the last 20. So they really did trust their process here, Liam, to get, you know, the necessary phase. And I mean, as I say, it's ballsy out from La Rochelle, just in terms of phase after phase after phase, a mishandle here, the season, the cup season in the European Champions Cup is over. So, I mean, from La Rochelle, the ice cold composure to continue to really kind of camp in that Leinster line. And I think for Arthur, with, Ritere, I mean, again, spots a gap, 
ring rolls a little bit kind of balanced and then literally <laughs> his arm basically stretches over for the touchdown just in front of Michael Alatoa. 79 minutes, game's up for Leinster. But I just thought from a Leinster perspective, going back to the point, maybe, I don't know if you had American football head coaching head in it, you know, maybe kind of maybe concede a score and then kind of come back because, you know, they could have manufactured something. But again, there was no time left in the chalk clock. And I mean, it was such a magnificent win for La Rochelle, you know, there because I think Brian O'Driscoll had mentioned maybe there's 10 seconds left that there would be a restart. But I think all the La Rochelle subs and management had gone on the pitch at that stage. But uh, yeah, yeah, look, they, they 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 had they had some chances, all right. That's that's for sure. But I I think it was more that La Rochelle did a right job on them, basically in terms of defensively and offensively. And I suppose I'm already a masterclass in in coaching from Raj himself. It's interesting that he was mentioning that he saw weaknesses this season in Leinster, in particular losses, and how he could turn that to his, his advantage in the final. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, you could say, you know, scrum time, you know, even though the, 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 you had that Irish scrum there, 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 there it's, it's a kind of a, a slight uh, underbelly there. And obviously as well, Sexton was absolutely, he was targeted throughout the game. And that's what, that's obviously what you do anyway by the, by the opposition back row. But for Leinster to be kept trialless and really, you know, you'd be scratching your head as to how many actual opportunities they, they had in the game. They actually didn't, to be honest with you, really, you know, apart from, yeah, maybe in, in, in that, that uh, five minutes from the second half. Um, so, yeah. They did a great job. They 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 were very dangerous out wide, La Rochelle too. And uh, wow, I mean, incredible performance, really. Yeah, exactly. I think you now see from Lance Roby's perspective why they've acquired someone like Jason Jenkins for next season. I think physicality, sheer brute force, it's still a massive key ingredient for winning a European Champions Cup. I think we've seen that now, kind of in terms of. I'd even start from Exeter Chiefs to Toulouse to now La Rochelle. That your real solid foundation of any team is your pack, but now really more so than anything else. Flair, creativity will get you plenty. But when it comes to the cup finals, your set piece, you know, your pack battle, it was huge uh, during this game. And not to say that the Leinster pack didn't have their moments here, but once... Again, La Rochelle had the measure of Leinster, particularly after minute 50, I felt. This game was kind of a momentum had completely shifted. And I think that Sexton, Keenan, passage of play, particularly for the, the Bougarets uh, try, really kind of was the epicentre there. Again, La Rochelle sensing their moment, really exploiting their attacking mall. And then you could see body language a little bit in Leinster rugby kind of dip a little bit. And again, you're pulling off likes of Tyke Furlong and Reporter have gone 60 minutes. I think from that perspective, there will be the need to maybe kind of look at things a little bit in terms of pack from a Leinster rugby perspective. But I think it's a magnificent story for La Rochelle. When you consider in 2014 here, Lima Breen, that La Rochelle were in the pro D2. And then 2017, uh, top 14 semi-final loss uh, to Toulon uh, under Golazo, who then decides to go to Toulon. And then you had the John O'Gibbs and now Ronan Agara. That's sea change. I mean, but I suppose Galazzo's impact 
you know, he brings in the likes of Vito, who wasn't in the starting lineup due to injury. The likes of Antonio, Sassi, Aldritz, Bugaritz. Again, they've been building this side up for many a year. And I think, to be fair, that northwest quarter of France, that outpost, I've seen so many media reports about La Rochelle. But, I mean, you can see the celebrations, Liam, from La Rochelle immediately after the full-time whistle, and particularly when the team arrived back to La Rochelle. To me, it looked very akin to Munster Rugby, you know, their first uh, European Cup triumph. I mean, the scenes were absolutely phenomenal. And you can only see great things happening here for La Rochelle in terms of the rugby club, the fan base, and also the player group as well, when you consider that Tenny Thomas is going to join uh, from Racing 92 next season. I think it's going to attract an awful lot more players to La Rochelle. Yeah, they're, they're some some example of a club, really, from where, they, where they've come from. And even, I mean, we have to remember last, last season, you could argue, again, they, they kind of blew it against Toulouse in the final as well. So, and and I did think, I had said last week, that they were, I always felt that this was almost their last chance, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, you have to, you had just have to take your chance when it, when it's there. Now, Roger's been talked about as the <laughs> potential England coach, you know. Obviously, he can he can take any job he wants. But he's going to he's going to stay at La Rochelle for many a year to come because while he's built there and and while they're be their building as a club is very much something special and it is akin to to Munster and Munster's journey almost at the top and I also think it's great to see just the rugby the European Cup Heineken Champions Cup it really does have a huge amount of potential winners there. You know, every year as well. It's 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 unlike a lot of other competitions. It is m- multiple winners, very open in terms of who can actually lift the cup. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I think it's it's good for competition that a new name comes in to get their name on that coveted trophy. Uh, no disrespect to Leinster, but I mean, this really does open door again, very a la Exeter Chiefs, whereby it's a regional club run very well. You know, players supported the cohesion there. It is a, a very much a case study for any other uh, European Cup team that really wants to strive to get to that pinnacle. It's it's achievable. You know, if La Rochelle or Exeter Chiefs can do it in the last few seasons, why can't anyone else? So I think from that perspective, it's it's a, a great win for tournament organisers. I think we may see renewed investment on most clubs here to kind of get to that level. But I suppose going back to Leinster Rugby here, I mean, denied, you can say it's cruel in terms of how it's all panned out. But I suppose from Leinster Rugby, they're not a bad team overnight. But Liam, I've seen an awful lot in terms of URC, you know, competitiveness. But in terms of this squad of players, particularly with Leinster Rugby, have they really been put to the pin or their collar in this European Cup campaign? The answer would be no. And I think it maybe cost them a little bit on Saturday, particularly went to the closing last quarter, that maybe that familiarity in terms of how to win kind of a tight, close game, maybe for some of the players, maybe kind of that composure maybe eluded them. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, I, w- I would, of course, sir. I mean, they weren't tested at all. And it's ironic, it'll only be the next probably two, three weeks that they will get tested when they... When they played the South African sides, who can also offer that sort of uh, f- sheer physicality. In terms of where they're actually lacking, they're not that far off, like, you know, but they're, they're lacking a bit of a dog, a second row, a kind of Nathan Hines, Brad Thorne type, which I don't, which 
Well, they might be hoping it's in 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 Jason Jenkins. Um, we, we we wait to see. Also, probably let's be honest, but another kind of a, a loose head prop is clearly clearly required as well. So they're not that far off, but um, they certainly have a lot of thinkings to take care of um, and to kind of iron out if they're to come back next season because you know there's there's no guarantee next season with with the World Cup year that Leinster with the majority of their squad are going to find it easy in in the European Cup. Exactly, you know, um, new season. Now I know the lure is Dublin will be the location, the venue of uh, the Cup Final weekends for the Challenge Cup and also the Champions Cup finals. But, I mean, you throw in some of the South African teams in the mix here again, here, Liam. Things got an awful lot more difficult for everyone. And I think there will be English teams that will be looking to kind of really make statements of intent again in Europe. Same with France as well. You'll have your Toulouse, you'll have your Racing 92s. It's completely competitive. But I think from Leinster's perspective, not a bad team overnight. I think URC teams, I think, will be beware because there will be kind of reviews from Leinster's rugby hierarchy in terms of this cup final and how what lessons to be learned. So I think for the vast majority of the URC, it's bad news, I would think, there. But as you say, it's probably pack-wise that extra maybe 3 4%, particularly in that front five, to really build up that squad depth and that physicality. I know Joe McCarthy came on late. And again, it's very difficult for a rookie to come in in that situation to really make an impact. But I think that grunt force, that physicality, likes the Vardys, these sort of guys, maybe was completely missed, you know, on a game like Saturday where you really needed guys to really front up. And I think in terms of Skelton, I think Skelton in the second row was the dominant force there. But also in the back row as well, Leinster did have moments with Van der Fleer, Conan, um, particularly, but and Doris, but I think to be fair to Liebenberg, likes of Aldrich as well, and had had as well. I mean, they had their moments as well. I mean, Aldrich, I thought it was absolutely superb here, Liam, again, in terms of his leadership, his ball carrying from a Lancer perspective. It's no disgrace to be beaten by the phenomenal La Rochelle pack. But again, if you could talk about perfect setup going into a final, again, this Lancer team were well rested after the, the Toulouse uh, performance in the semi-final, um, had their squad players out against Munster Rugby getting a superb performance. So, I mean, the lead-up here would have been perfect. They also prepped in terms of South Africa, that tour as well. An awful lot of them were in Dublin prepping for European Cup. So, I think preparation-wise, no excuse. But I think maybe that kind of sharpness in terms of closing out games uh, because there was a bit of a nervy performance off Leinster here from a probably about minute 20 on in terms of realising that La Rochelle were going to be in this to the, the bitter end and maybe a little bit of composure issues here by not being fully tested. And I'm not saying in terms of URC, but even collectively during the season. You see La Rochelle, they had, you know, good wins against likes of Bordeaux in terms of Racing 92. That was a real blood and thunder tie. People could criticise La Rochelle for the performance, but it was a real gritty performance to get that over the line. They were battle-hardened, whereas I think the Leinster rugby squad definitely may not have had that and was probably a definitely a distinct disadvantage. I suppose going back to Rog then, as I said, the world is his oyster at the moment. It's a phenomenal achievement of Ronan Agarra if you look at his coaching resume, really, when you consider his playing career at Munster Rugby, but now likes the Crusaders with Super Rugby successes, and now he has success 
with La Rochelle. As you say, the coaching stock value continues to soar for Ronan O'Garan now, doesn't it? Yeah, incredible stuff. Like he's a winner literally everywhere everywhere is went. He's probably the best start of any coach ever in in, in terms of professional rugby. <laughs> and and it's like what does he do from now? I feel he, he will certainly stay at La Rochelle for the remaining few years and he's bought time. Which 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 um, coaches, managers really nowadays in any sport don't have. He's bought his three or four years, quite frankly, is what he's bought now. Um, and I, I think he's going to be a lot, a lot more successes coming away anyway. Um, in terms of long term, I, I think he'll be Ireland coach is where he'll go. He will not go for, <laughs> should I say, the almost poison chalice of Munster. No, he's he certainly international coaching at that, at that level is something that he, he, I think that Raj will go with. I, I think that the the La Rochelle performance, there was almost a stamp of O'Gara on it, wasn't there? There was just, he, yeah. he would have alluded to himself that, that they showed the heart, you know, that he, all, and the honesty, I suppose, the honesty performance as well. That was, that was surely a mark of La Rochelle. Uh, sometimes the best team doesn't always win the competition. Leinster would agree were by far and away the best team. We have to remember La Rochelle were dire against, against Racing. In a semi-final, but they performed on the day, and that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. They still found a way. They still found a way to win against Racing Edge too. And in fairness to West, you know we were very critical of him at the preview, thinking, "Oh, will he have his kicking boots on?" And in fairness, him nailed the first penalty, and you know, you know, the first conversion after the uh, Rural um, Troy. I think after that, then you know, that kind of worry dissipates really. So I think to a man, they back themselves, they back each other, and I suppose really is helped. I mean, it's that evolution from like said Galazzo all the way to the John O'Gibbs, you know, Rona Garrett comes into that backroom. You can see the steeliness and the determination. And I think the Sal Rochelle success, I mean, O'Gara gets huge benefit and accolades for getting the team over the line. But again, there's been an awful lot of good work done here in La Rochelle over previous years since 2014 to get to this pinnacle and I mean to be fair to um, La Rochelle's magnificent success and I think for O'Gara he's not going back to an Irish province the next level is test match rugby for him so it will be very intriguing I think I don't think it's just Ireland in the picture here and I think Ronan O'Gara is going to be a very is a very shrewd and astute man and once that moment happens and an opportunity arises which he wants to really kind of sink his teeth into I think he will be a massive success for whoever he takes on I don't see Munster anyway anywhere near securing O'Gara after this it's I think that ship has sailed now I think he's now looking at greater uh, accolades in the game now you know I'm really building I suppose La Rochelle for the next season or two but after 2023 again Liam as you well know there's resets associations head coaches will depart and then there's head coaching positions in test match rugby teams, the big teams. Not naming names, but maybe, you know, England or South Africa or other teams like that maybe kind of getting into that realm of looking for new head coaches after that cycle again. So there's endless opportunities here for Ronan Nagaro, but I think Donica Ryan as well, superb job, backroom staff-wise. I think it's been a marvellous, marvellous week for O'Gara. Played it perfectly. Brees Doolan at full-back. Reinstatement of Doolan, I think, was absolutely a master stroke. Really did control that back three exchange. 
And then literally the tactics, you know, as you say, likes of Dante, you know, real physical ball carrying here. And also creating a bit of width out wide as well to vary that as well. Because Raj did pick out Connacht Rugby in the first leg of that last 16. And also um, uh, the Leicester Tigers game in certain periods that he had seen things in videotape that La Rochelle could exploit. And I don't think this is an upset by any set or shock. People are kind of claiming that this is a shock. I, to me, it wasn't. Last week, we'd kind of mentioned it, and I thought it was very much a 50-50 game. And if you look at the stats, name possession, 61% La Rochelle. Meters gained 636 over Leinster's 415. Uh, defenders beaten 16. Leinster 7. Passes 150 versus 125 Leinster. Successful carry 16 versus 7 from Leinster. So I think, to be perfectly fair, on the day, La Rochelle, I think, are worthy winners and congratulations to them. Liam, we may switch to URC. The inaugural playoff series kicks off this weekend. We're down to the last eight. Again, all very exciting uh, with four t- games on tap. We have Leinster versus Glasgow Warriors, DHL Stormers versus Edinburgh. We have the Irish Interpro between Ulster and Munster at Kingspan. And then we have the Vodacom Bulls versus South Sea Sharks in a South African uh, local uh, derby match as well. The way the playoffs are working here, ladies and gentlemen, is if games are tied after 80 minutes, there will be similar to the playoffs um, in the Champions Cup, 10 minutes either side. And then it'll be determined on number of tries. And if that doesn't separate teams, we're on to our place-kicking competition. But I think, Liam, looking at these fixtures, maybe we can start off with Munster and Ulster in Kingspan. Given the comments of Conor Murray this week in terms of uh, the Leinster performance and kind of closing that off, do you see any chance for Munster Rugby here of pulling an upset against a very revitalised and energised Ulster Rugby outfit? Well, would it be an upset if, if, if Munster were to turn them over? We, we've beat them twice this season and the only team to beat them um, at home in the URC quite recently too. Yeah, so I mean, I think you'd have to be confident for Munster um, going up to the Kingspan. Now, what we have to remember last time, Ulster were without Vermeulen, uh, Henderson, Billy Burns somehow was uh, was uh, sacrificed for Mike Lowry as a ten. <laughs> so those sort of things were were quite strange, and they they certainly helped Munster along to the victory. But it was also a very good performance that Munster played that night in in Ravenhill, and we are going to probably have a quite a, a powerful replacement bench in the likes of Byrne, Coombs. And Conway back as well, so things are looking up for us in that sense. Uh, I think that we kind of uh, it comes to the stage of season where mentally, I think Munster potentially, I would say, have that bit more about them than than Ulster. There, there's still that brittleness there, and there's still that those question marks about Ulster more than Munster at this stage. I think it's a very intriguingly set game. I'm kind of looking at some of the fixtures here and maybe the Bulls-Sharks is a very kind of 50-50 matchup. But I think here, that Ulster Rugby, Munster Rugby is a very much a 50-50 call. As you say, Munster had a good record over Ulster Rugby this season, home and away wins in regular season. There has to be a response off this Munster Rugby side. I expect a big performance off Munster Rugby. And to be fairness to Munster Rugby and Dan McFarlane, this project he's been building now, for the last season or two. A loss here against Munster Rugby 
I think question marks will start to surface here amongst Ulster rugby supporters in terms of where is the direction where Ulster rugby is going. I mean, they're looking to strive, like Munster to a certain extent, to get very deep into competitions. Now, unfortunately, against Lose, they, that last 16 was just rotten luck in terms of who they picked in that last 16. But I think in the URC, this has been something they've really pinpointed and they've been very prominent on. And I think it's massive pressure on Ulster rugby, I think more so than Ulster or Munster, to get that result on Friday night. Ulster were being talked about as potential European champions there, you know, through the season when they topped their group. Um, and yeah, granted, they were lucky to get Toulouse. But at the same time, you know, they lost to Toulouse. And then they probably didn't recover in, uh, in performance. And then next up was, was, was Munster in the Kingspan. And, you know, that was... That was a promise where I suppose it, again they turned up really in, in in the second half they kind of almost awoke. So yeah, I, I think I mean if they basically went out of Europe like that and if they go to the URC, they they certainly questions would be asked about Ulster because they have some some big name players in many positions there. From being the form team um, in, in the URC over a lot of the course of the season, uh, it would be an absolute disaster for them and this kind of project you'd have to question where it's going next so i think there's an awful lot on the line here for ulster and also for munster and i mean there's some fascinating battles but i'm looking at the three quarters battle here uh, Liam, potentially and this is a if damien delende returns to fitness i think after the leinster rugby performance i'd say he will be rushed back certainly given the ineffective uh, performance of the three quarters against Leinster but I mean you have Ulster Stuart McCluskey playing outstanding rugby at the moment along with James Hume and then you'd have the likes of Delende 12 Farrell at 13 I mean monster ball carriers the four of them and I mean weather set fair in Belfast on Friday night I expect tries in this game and I think the three quarters combinations for both sides are going to be pretty instrumental in where this game is going to go McCluskey and Hume have been in my view head and shoulders above the whole Delende Farrell combination this season, you know, yeah. and they did basically they've gelled. It's very simple. They've gelled, and and McCluskey has been the 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 ball wrecker, the the bruiser, and Hume with the the silky running skills, and they've worked a treat, um, and certainly the two guys are definitely there thereabouts in terms of uh, to put themselves up for our selection. And then you have. Balakum, who to my mind definitely should be on one wing, obviously with with, with Low and the other for Ireland. You have the the Mike Lowry effect is is going to be there. Billy Burns has been a very good link out half this season for Ulster. He's actually had a very very good season. If you were to look at it in the context of like the 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 other Irish out halves, and then of course you have. Again, when we talk about like you know the, the 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 pick of the the forwards this season in the URC, I mean you're talking about yeah Jack O'Donoghue, but you'd also talk about Nick Timoney. Exactly. He's just been absolutely incredible, and he's one of these names again that has to surely be like on the way to to New Zealand. So the the matchups in the back row is also going to be fascinating for myself. The likes of Alan O'Connor as well, that second row battle as well. I think there's so many intriguing battles, and I, I think the Billy Burns, Joy Carberry. We're assuming Carberry will start at 10, Billy Burns 10 as well for Ulster Rugby. And uh, I mean, that's almost like a trial match to decide who's really going to be the backup here uh, for Sexton in the New Zealand Summer Tour. And I would expect maybe one of them to 
depending on how this performance goes on Friday night, to be probably in that pecking order, maybe second in the pecking order for that New Zealand, one of the tests, maybe the second or third test for New Zealand. So I think there's huge ramifications here for, I think we mentioned it last week in terms of the review of the Leinster Munster Rugby performance that I think a few Munster Rugby heads here that have any aspirations of going down to New Zealand with Ireland will really have to kind of deliver now in terms of this Ulster Rugby uh, fixture because otherwise you could see some household names maybe kind of not going on the flight uh, given kind of concern on form. Yeah and can I highlight something that I would be quite concerned about actually for this weekend is is our, our scrum uh, specifically the kind of our, 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 our front row I think they could get absolutely pummeled, to be quite frank about it. Like, you know, they have a very tasty uh, front row, great scrummaging front row as well. And yeah, so that, that's obviously a concern for me. And uh, you'd, you'd wonder, will they will they just kind of, will Munster be starting with, with, certainly with Ryan because of that? I think it may have to happen. You know, you can't give 369 points away in terms of your scrummaging, your set piece. These playoff games, as we've seen with the La Rochelle-Lenster game, are won on very fine margins. Uh, I think to be fair to Munster Rugby, they have to really set the stall out early and look to be as competitive as they can, particularly from scrummaging and set-piece lineup perspective. So I think from that perspective, I, I would hope that Ryan is playing. Wouldn't be overly surprised if Stephen Archer played as well. But I think, uh, as I say, I think that's a, a, bit, a big concern uh, for Munster Rugby. But um, I suppose... Calling it there, Liam. I know we kind of previewed it there. Uh, Ulster Rugby, Munster Rugby. Who do you fancy here advancing to the semi-finals? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, you probably have to say Ulster are favourites in terms of what they've done this season. They have ultimately finished the season stronger, the regular season than Munster. They still have a very good home record, um, but I would just think that there is there is a performance in Munster. I would just give us by tighter margins, just the bare the bare three points. Uh, I just think that know how to win tight games almost as well, whereas Ulster still haven't uh, shown us that this season, and that's why almost kind of I suppose the heart rules the head. I'm kind of leaning towards you, but again, there's an awful lot of a performance gap here for Munster to really you know, really track back in terms of that Leinster performance for me. I think Ulster may just shade this, but I think Ulster will give opportunities for Munster, and I think it's really down to Munster Rugby's cohesion and skill set, particularly in the back line, to be far improved than they were against Leinster Rugby in terms of their kind of line breaks and their kind of direct running style. I'm just going to give it to Ulster Rugby just based on home field advantage here, but I think, as you say yourself, I don't think this will blow up by any stretch, but I think maybe Ulster by three points. And again, it's this whole project. Dan McFarlane, it's firmly in place in Ulster Rugby. You have Johan van Graan leaving for Bath Rugby as well. Uh, just wonder here, is that a motivating factor for Ulster to continue on their journey here with Dan McFarlane? So I think that edge may go to Ulster. We go then to Saturday and we go to uh, the Bloemfontein, um, the Loftus Verfeld. Uh, Vodacom Bulls against the South Sea Sharks. I'm really looking forward to this one, uh, Liam, just in terms of the pack battle and the set piece. Uh, who do you fancy in this one? Oh, it's going to be absolutely ferocious, like, you know. I don't know who you like your pack battles and you're, you're going I, to get I that. Love my pack of all the games this weekend, that's going to be the one to watch, for sure. Wow, it's going to be incredible. Um, 
there's so many highly rated young players coming through at the Bulls, you know. Whereas the Sharks, it's funny, have all the Springboks, the established guys. The the Bulls are almost in a lot of positions the heir parents to them. Yeah. Um, so you could never write off the Bulls, obviously, at home, you know, and at attitude as well. It makes such a huge difference. I I have looked this season at the Sharks and I've just felt they are less than the sum of their parts, rather than more than the sum of their parts. They have produced very good performances. There's no linking between them and the the backline, which contains the likes of Makazoli, Mapimpi and Lucanio Am in it. So yeah. it doesn't make much sense, but it just hasn't worked out. They also have a pretty average number 10. And you don't re- really win too much with, it, with an average number 10 either. Whereas the Bulls, I have felt this season, you've had the Bulls, the Sharks, the Lions and the Stormers. I felt the Bulls even potentially have more of an all-round game to go far in this competition. I would say the Bulls probably, I'd give them by like six, seven points. Yeah, I think I'd go with you on that. I think just based on the regular season form, I would definitely be going for the Bulls. I was very impressed by them. Uh, particularly when Munster were down in Bluefontein, uh, particularly in, in that URC fixture in March. I thought they were very impressive for about 60 minutes of that game. Just in terms of their cohesion, you know, their pack, they just have complete standouts, like I could say, you know, Morning Stain as well. They've enough, a lot of experienced guys there that will, in a playoff environment, relish that opportunity. Whereas, as you said, Salchi Sharks, it's not the, the time for maybe an indifferent halfback combination to be put under the pin of their collar away from home in a quarterfinal of a competition. So I think for me, the Bulls, you know, you have both as well. Yeah, for me, I think the Bulls are really kind of more set up here for a longer stay in this competition. Now, the Sharks did impress me when Connacht went down to South Africa. I thought, geez, if they could just get the cohesion right in terms of their pack play in the second half, Blue Connacht's way, and really link up their, their racks, who are phenomenal. But I think the fact of the matter is, this is not the time now. I mean, all that cohesion stuff should have been ironed out weeks, months ago. I think Bulls, I think strong by 7 to 10. And then uh, we continued down the, the H Stormers against Edinburgh Rugby. So Edinburgh travelled down to South Africa. Do you give any chance Edinburgh Rugby of causing an upset here against the Stormers, who are second seeds? Uh, no, not by a long shot. I think this could be a, kind of a big scoreline for the Stormers. This is kind of a bonus try territory. If you need it, you don't, because it's a knockout game, you know. But it's going to be another one of those um, Evan Royce huge carrying performances and uh, Halant and Libok just running that back line. She's like, I, I could see, to be honest, I could see like something like a 25-point uh, winning margin in this one. I can't see any sort of real indicators that Edinburgh are going to come anywhere near close to them, really. It's a daunting task, particularly with Stormers who are on an upward curve here, I think, and particularly their home form has been so strong. I mean, Edinburgh do play in a lovely brand of rugby, but again, I think it's that expansive brand of football could literally work against them here against the Stormers, and I don't see their pack Maybe their pack is their secret weapon here, Edinburgh, to a certain extent, but that can only get them so far. I think for me, 
just probably maybe the most clear cut of the games, I think, along with Leinster, Glasgow. I think Stormers probably 17, 20 points here. Uh, when I think after maybe kind of a, a cagey enough start, but I think Stormers, if they can, you know, get enough ball uh, from the pack here, I say Libok has just been absolutely phenomenal. You know, he's making things happen for the Stormers and again, second seeds. Be a massive disappointment for the Stormers if they were upset here by Edinburgh, given all the hard work that's been got on here behind the scenes with the Stormers in recent weeks. And I suppose finally, Leinster Rugby coming off that heartbreaking loss against La Rochelle. Given probably it's going to be your squad players probably fronting up a bit against Glasgow Warriors, do we see any hope for Glasgow Warriors here in uh, the RDS? Well, yeah, I, I suppose more more so than if Leinster won, in the sense of Leinster, the morale is a bit down. Their players must be like a lot of them must be just actually on dead on their feet still. I know probably Furlong and Sexton are are, are out. It's questionable. For some of the other players who, who would have played close to 80 minutes, whether they should be given that per, given that and just let it get out of their system. So I think, you know, it, it could be quite a tough day in the first half for Leinster to finally get going. I think they would click a bit in the second half. I'd be kind of saying something like um, it'd be 15 points, 15 point winning margin for Leinster in the end. Yeah. I'm with you. I think there might be a struggle at the start. I think this is where Glasgow really have to kind of really hit Leinster hard, particularly in the first quarter, and really try to establish a nice little advantage. You know, they definitely do have the players to on their day to um, provide that expansive play to cause Leinster problems. But I think there's a few squad players here that may give Leo Cullen, Stuart Lancaster, a message of intent that. I was the guy really to be maybe on that 23-man squad. I'm thinking of likes of the Ryan Bairds here, the Kieran Frawleys, guys like that were didn't really get any game time in the final. They'll have a point to prove. Sorokas, the Scott Pennies. I think they will have more than enough, but I think maybe that second third quarter is a bit too much for Glasgow. I would be with you there, Liam. I think maybe kind of a 10-15 point. Maybe it's a workman-like performance of Leinster to kind of get rid of the hangover here. But uh, yeah, I'd Again, maybe apart from maybe Munster Rugby here, I think we're probably looking at maybe home wins on the other three fixtures, are we? Uh, Liam, looks like uh, it. Yeah, I, I would certainly say that, definitely. I'd say the others are kind of pretty much parked, I'd say, as results, yeah. Exactly. And the way the semi-finals are working, ladies and gentlemen, is that semi-final one, the winners of Leinster Rugby Glasgow Warriors will be host to Vodafone Bulls or the South Sea Sharks. And then in semi-final two, the DH... Stormers or Edinburgh will be hosting either Ulster Rugby or Munster Rugby. I mean, Liam, we mentioned this before, you know, the whole kind of financial ramifications of a playoff run in the URC. Again, if Munster were to get a, a win in Kingspan next Friday night or this Friday night, then it's a kind of a case of having to go on the road again. So, again, vital revenue streams being lost here for Munster Rugby. So, I suppose the first things first have to get to Kingspan, but again, that loss against Leinster Rugby, you know, in the last round of uh, fixtures in the URC really is kind of died home in terms of the financial balance sheet. And I suppose, Liam, before we leave, there has been some contract news in the Irish provinces, particularly around Ulster and Munster. And uh, I suppose Keith Earls kind of resigning for that one-year extension. Great news for Munster Rugby. And, you know, Ulster may have produced uh, an absolute gem of a signing there as well, uh, the New Zealander arriving in. Yeah, he's exactly the type of guy uh, to make, uh, that we need, quite frankly. 
Yes. Of all of all the signs that we would it would be to get, which we probably won't get now because they have Alatoa, Leinster, and they now have Tumanga Allen. So <laughs> no chance of us getting a tie that prop, it seems, this this season. But he's he's a tremendous signing on a one-year contract. Um ex All Black was was at Wasps last season. And his highlights reel is just something to behold completely in terms of broken field play and in terms of he's a very destructive scrummager. Um, in terms of Earls, just I'm so delighted for the guy, you know. He's still at the top of his game. Um, he's got the one-year contract as an IRFU contract. And obviously, if Munster want, they can, they can um, give him another con- contract uh, at the end of next season. So he's up to the Rugby World Cup. He certainly will be in the mix for that squad. Exactly. I think with Alan and Ulster Rugby, I think that's a phenomenal signing. Just given 2023, it's a World Cup year. These Irish players in the Irish provinces will be spending an awful lot of time in Carton House in the Performance Centre. For Ulster, they have an absolute gem of a forward to literally front up and, you know, get the workload in. In, essentially in these URC regular season games and I think Keith Earls got what unbelievable servant to the province you know and as you say Lean, you know his performance levels are remain sky high you know again an absolute astute footballer game reader game management extraordinaire you know he creates tries out of absolutely nothing and again it's great to have a guy like that in the dressing room helping the academy guys particularly in the back line thinking like said Shane Daly he's the Calvin Nashes of this world imparting that knowledge again onto these guys you know the next generation that are coming in so I think from that perspective for Munster it's a very shrewd move very similar to the Simon Zebo kind of signing last season that you do have these established guys there and who knows as well I mean it could be a case of uh, Keith Earls really um maybe kind of joining kind of maybe the academy or, you know, doing some coaching there on the side as well uh, towards the latter end of the next season, particularly with Graham Rowntree around. I think Graham Rowntree knows the value of a Keith Earls, that bring, you know, a character of Keith Earls uh, into a dressing room. So, no, I'm delighted with that news as well. Liam, we'll leave it there anyway. Again, I think that was a great review in terms of uh, the Champions Cup final. Commiserations to Leinster, but, you know, massive congratulations to La Rochelle, Ronan O'Gara, Dunica Ryan on that triumph and I think the URC action I think we we've kind of predicted here but you know that maybe a fixture here that we just will be talking about next week until then Liam thanks very much okay thank you for listening to this podcast episode if you liked what you heard in this podcast why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon Spotify YouTube or Twitter platforms you can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.